This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who aren't done yet. You may have seen the worst of aging and are hoping there's a better way. There is, and I'm going to show you how. In interviews, book reviews, rants, and stories each week, I'm going to bring you the latest science-based info on how to age better. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. It pisses me off, and it's BS. Look, aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody. Today, my guest is Dr. Joe Casciani, and he has a 30-year history in long-term care as a psychologist and expert in mental health practices. He is most interested in the aging part, how the psychology of aging is applied and how we can age better. His new business is called Living to 100, the Living to 100 Club, where he is reaching out to people who are aging, which pretty much includes everybody in the world, certainly people at the midlife and beyond, who are looking for strategies and tips and techniques and community to age as well as they can. So without further ado, Dr. Joe, welcome, and thank you so much for being here with us today. You're most welcome, Gregory. Thanks very much for inviting me. Sure. I should mention also that one of the things I love when we sort of met online is that you say and are the author of a book called Living Longer is the New Normal. And the book is subtitled Lessons from a Gero Psychologist on Living Longer and Making It Over the Hurdles. Tell us a little bit about that book, because I just love the concept that living longer is the new normal. Well, yeah, we are certainly living longer. Our life expectancy continues to increase, and we're seeing more and more people every day who are functioning high performance in their 70s, 80s, even 90s. So my book is really focused on successful aging, but also making it over the hurdles, because we know not everybody is a high performer in their 70s, 80s, 90s. And there are hurdles, there are obstacles that we encounter. So my background kind of steered me in this direction that successful aging is more about a mindset. It's really maintaining this positive mindset about our future and not looking at what's going wrong, but looking at what's ahead, what opportunities I have ahead. And I'm gonna hit some potholes, we don't, there are always setbacks. There are always physical changes, losses, personal losses, uh, friends, spouses. There's always setbacks. But my my contention is, yes, we have to face those, and we work through those changes and try to get beyond it. So living longer is the new normal. Yes, we are living longer, but what do we do with these uh, extra years? So my thing is, make sure we, we are open to opportunities ahead because there are a lot of opportunities. There are, and we'll talk about those in a minute, but I'm curious, how did you, did you always want to work in the field of gerontology in the psychology, work with the idea of aging? How did you come to this? Yeah, I started out after I got licensed as a psychologist. I'm um, here in California. I got licensed. And a year after that, I took a position on a gero psychiatric unit with County Mental Health. And that was my first real exposure to working with seniors. And I learned a lot of things. This happened to be an inpatient psychiatric unit. So we had a lot of admissions from the community. And 
people that were confused and disoriented and, you know, seemed to be demented, seemed to be maybe suffering from Alzheimer's disease. But I learned after we got them cleaned up and good nutrition and medication and literally cleaned up, they came back. You know, there was mm-hmm. still a high functioning person there. So, I mean, that was just one piece. But I also learned that there are a lot of things that psychologists can do with this population that other physicians, other healthcare professionals, Rhea, cannot do because we can, you know, kind of look below the surface and see what, what the function is. So I, I had that position. Then I was awarded a contract with the Department of Aging here in California to write a training manual. Another psychologist and I had a three-year contract to write a manual on mental health topics for nursing homes and to bring this manual around the state to train what we call train the trainers. There's always staff trainers in nursing mm-hmm. homes. So we had the obligation to train the people on mental health topics. And that was a great experience. And shortly after that, you know, things just fell into line. And I, I was approached by a physician to start a new company, which is uh, kind of history now. I was with that company for 16 years, and we contracted with nursing homes around the country. We were in eight states, close to a thousand facilities, and I was the lead clinical uh, psychology director. You know, got to see firsthand the real impact that mental health professionals can have with this population. And I continued, I left that company, started my own, and stayed with my own company for 10 years and then sold that last year. So pretty much my whole career focused on aging and looking at kind of the upside to aging, not just the decline. Yeah, which is a great conversation to have because so much of what's out there circulating, although when you and I had a conversation, I asked if you thought ageism was as bad and you thought it wasn't quite as bad and there are more high functioning people. So the picture is changing. But I think because our brains are, are wired to look for negative things. Oftentimes the conversation about getting older is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to break my hip and I'm going to lose my mind and I can't find my car keys. Does that mean I'm losing my mind? You know, so I love that you are looking at the upside of aging. So speaking of that, you, you have a, um, a key phrase. You talk about turning aging on its head. What does that actually mean? Yeah, you know, that came to me right away. As soon as I formed the, the company, Living to 100 Club, I was looking for a tagline and to me, it captures the, the notion of getting over the stereotypes. Let's not let the number get in the way because there are always people who are doing better than us and there are always people who are not as well as us or doing poorly. So let's stop using number as any kind of gauge of what we should or should not be doing. So turning aging on its head is just that to give up that those, you know, what I call self-limiting beliefs that really hold us back and kind of foster that negative stereotype. So to me, it's like, let's look at the other side of the coin and look at the the positives, you know, as I talk about celebrating aging and, you know, really building on that that positive mindset. I think there's so much upside here uh, for individuals if they let go of those negative beliefs and, you know, start looking at maybe digging deep and finding some some new energy and new potential and new new interest. And that's, you know, that's what I think is kind of our future as we age. You can almost extrapolate what you were talking about before when you worked in the um, the psych ward 
for the elderly people. And you said, once you got them quote unquote cleaned up, you saw that there was still a functioning person in there once they were given proper nutrition and maybe some love in the way of connection and communication. And I think it's possible. I watched this happen with my mother-in-law who's deceased now. She lived alone. She was in rural Wales in a beautiful community. She had neighbors, but really she just stopped engaging and little by little the decline. But when we would come visit the first hour, she was sort of low key, but within an hour or two, she was engaged and playing with the kids. And there was that old spark of her. And so uh, one of the things for me and your living to 100 club is going to be a great resource for people is to stay connected with other people. Even if you can't get out, we have, so look at, we're on zoom right now. Almost everybody has a phone, some way of connecting, but it's the right groups that will engage you to stay positive and encourage you to age with grace and ease or joy and ease. That is so yeah. important. Yeah, I, I think engagement is the key, uh, Greg. You know, we talk about waking up each morning with a smile on our face and saying, what's my purpose today? What's my objective? What's my goal today? And we really need to have that, whatever it is, whether it's solitary or whether it's social and interpersonal, we really have to have something to to look forward to. And, you know, that's what the importance of having some kind of hobby or interest or passion or volunteer work or something that offers that kind of uh, stimulation for us. So, it, you know, I mean, people who live alone aren't necessarily lonely. Nope. Um, right? Uh, we know that. So, and there are plenty of people who are lonely because they're missing that, that contact, that human relationship. And as you say, it's so much more available now because of our technology and phones and iPads mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah. As much as they drive us crazy, they certainly are. Um, ben- there are benefits to them. Yeah, there certainly are. Yeah. So what are your particular habits? What are So you wake up every day, I'm going to guess, with a smile on your face and decide what your purpose is for the day. What kind of habits do you have to ensure your longevity is what you'd like it to be? Yeah. Well, I should say, I, I recommend that to others. I can't always promise that I'm looking up with a smile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the work of the Blue Zones. I, I think we, we, I may have mentioned that to you in a previous mm-hmm. conversation. Uh, Dan Butner and Nick Butner and that team who discovered the lifestyle habits of the centenarians around the world, people who are living the longest, have a lot of common behaviors, things that they do similarly for, you know, across these different different countries. It's the diet and it's proper sleep and it's social engagement, family networks. For me, I start every day on my treadmill and a gravity machine. And, you know, just I don't love to exercise. People say exercise should be fun. I don't find it fun. I just find it to be necessary, maybe a mile every morning. Watch my diet. You know, stay away from the fast food. That's just the worst for us. I've just written a, a newsletter for February for our club members about diet and healthy eating. And there's really a lot of a lot of good information out there. And I reference some of the nutritional guides from several different countries. And they're all similar, of course. They're all parallel in terms of what you should and should not eat. But the great thing is that it's easy to follow. I mean, these are colorful. They're simple two or three pages of good foods and not good so I, I included those in my newsletter. The other thing that I, I just did, and I'm really happy about, is that I, I bought a drum set. I bought an electronic yeah. drum set. I've never played a musical instrument in my life. 
And I, I wanted to learn something new. And for some reason, for the last couple of years, I've been thinking about this. So I bought the drum set and I've set it up and I'm taking lessons. And I think we always need to reach and stretch and kind of um, learn new things, whether it's a language or taking a class. There are so many online classes now that we can learn. We can get credit or not credit. We can volunteer. There's all types of opportunities to connect with others, connect with the world, and really to keep opening doors. I think that's the that's the way to successfully age, keep opening doors. I love that you've got drums too. My I always wanted drums when I was a young person, maybe early teens. My mother, of course, was having none of that. So because we lived in an apartment and it wouldn't have, there would be nowhere for me to hide the noise of a drum. So I totally understand, but I think that's so cool that you're doing that. Well, that's the beauty of the electronics because you have a headset and nobody can, nobody can oh, hear you. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, nobody can hear it. Uh, you can, of course, plug it into your loudspeaker eventually, but initially starting out and it's very authentic. I've got to say these. Oh my gosh. That's very great. advanced. Yeah. It really sounds like acoustic drums. Yeah. So I'll let you know. Yeah, I want to hear a concert one of these days. Yeah, right. so one of the, um, a book that I'm working my way through, because it's about 600 pages you may be familiar with, called Successful Aging by Dr. Daniel Levitin, who's a um, neuropsychologist. He's got a couple of degrees. But one of the things that he talks about in the chapter I'm reading right now is the importance of learning something new and challenging the mind. And it takes things from a brain perspective out of the Sudoku crossword, we should be playing bridge and all those that's great. And it doesn't create new synapses. It doesn't make the mind stronger as the mind wants to decline and get sort of more comfortable. It's great if you don't know how to learn, how to play bridge to learn. Mm -hmm. But if we keep going back to the things that we're familiar with and is easy for us to do, even if we're taking an advanced crossword puzzle to do, that's not going to be enough as we age. But learning the drums or maybe taking a language, like you said, a new course, maybe I would want to take a neuropsychobiology class from Stanford, which I've been looking at. Those kinds of things are really important to keep the brain at least where it is and not sliding backwards. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is to, you know, good to maintain those kind of mentally stimulating activities, but I understand the point about creating new neural pathways. Yeah. That's the that's the goal here, to force our brains to create some new connections and new pathways and, you know, get those nerve cells uh, working. <laughs> And, you know, the newness and the um, the uh, unfamiliar territory, literally, is what I think is um, the strategy here. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's like exercise. You yeah. may or may not like it, but the brain needs it, too. So we can give the brain some exercise. And it's easier than getting on the treadmill every day That's or right. whatever else it is that we do. There are so many millions of different ways to age from a genetic point of view, but we know that genes are about 50% of the picture. And we've already talked about staying connected and having healthy habits, but I wanna go back to the mindset piece. Let's just say we're cruising along, we've been healthy, and all of a sudden we hit one of those bumps, those roadblocks or hurdles, as you mentioned. And I know that when we talk about mindset, I've been a coach for 18 years, 17 years, and sometimes the outside world, outside of the coaching world or the psych world, if you talk about mindset, it's like, oh, that's, you know, some namby-pamby way of trying to sugarcoat what's ugly and horrible and painful, maybe. What do you say to somebody who all of a sudden hits a hurdle? How do you get your mind 
wrapped around it? How do you deal with it if you're not used to thinking about mindset? Yeah, it, it really is a different way of looking at these events, how we interpret events, how we explain events. That uh, colors how well we cope with them, how well we manage them. My favorite quote is from, um, I think he was a Greek philosopher. He was a, first a slave. His name is Epictetus. Hmm. And you may have heard this, but his, his line was, we are disturbed not by events, but by the views we take of these events. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, I'd love to do this exercise when I'm speaking in front of groups. I, I divide it in half, left half and right half. And the left half, I said, look around the room and find everything that's wrong, everything that's you know broken or dirt, stains or windows need cleaning or fixtures are not right. Just look around. And then the right half, I want you to look around the room and find everything that's nice about the room, the color, the sunlight, whatever's happening. And we take a minute and then we go back and forth and share. And my point is, it's the same room. It's the same room. It's half full or half empty. It's the same eight ounce glass with four ounces of water. So it's how our perception is tuned to are we looking for what's wrong or are we looking for what's right? So for the person who, you know, is going along and doing great and independent and having a great life and maybe trips and falls and breaks her hip or, you know, falls and breaks her shoulder, has a, a hip fracture. So I've seen this so many times in individuals in the nursing home who go into rehab and it's their outlook and what are they expecting from this treatment, from this rehabilitation. And if they don't see themselves as, you know, capable, they really have trouble getting through rehab because rehab is very difficult. You may know it's very difficult. It's physically demanding and it wears you out. But it's that that idea that my outlook is going to determine how well I handle this, this uh, rehabilitation. So for anybody that's, you know, kind of poo-pooing it, read some books, read the books by Joe Dispenza, a great, mm-hmm. great author, um, talks about this all, all the time, that our mindset is going to bring us through a lot of the physical challenges that we face. What we think about, we bring about. I mean, there's loads of, <laughs> loads of lines, right? that uh, kind of shed light on this mm-hmm. whole thing. It's it's that how we interpret an event that's going to color how well we manage it. And if we expect it to, you know, rob us of our independence and slow us down and strip us of our, of our quality of life, that's what's going to happen. But mm-hmm. that's not, not necessary. We can see it in a positive way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was reminded of, Bruce Lipton is also somebody who talks about, he started his career in cells and epigenetics, but he talks often about the nocebo versus the placebo effect, which is Mm -hmm. kind of what you're talking about. So everybody knows the placebo effect is where people get a sugar pill because they don't know whether they're getting a drug or a sugar pill and they have good results in healing or less pain or whatever. What people talk less about is nocebo, which is if you tell somebody this is going to make you sick this is right now, there's a whole thing swirling around about COVID, the second vaccine, it's going to put you down for two days, you're going to have this, or maybe you won't. But the people who buy into the negative thinking Mm -hmm. are more likely to suffer a negative consequence. And that's just what you're talking about with the rehab or coming through a disease. 
And this is not sugarcoating or Pollyanna looking at the thing. It's a reality. Sort of just, it's, it really is true. Yeah, yeah, we do. We, we need to dig deep at those times and, and pull out that strength and, and that drive or grit, whatever we want to call it. I, I maintain that it never goes away. You know, it's always there. It, it might get covered over or it might get blocked. We, we might feel depressed and not see any positives, not see any, any signs of hope. But it's always there. So the trick is it's not a trick. It's the goal is to unlock that 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 fire and determination. And the best part, and what I would often tell patients is that look, once you're in touch with that fire and determination, nobody can take it away from you. Mm -hmm. It's yours forever. Nobody can take it. Not your family. Not your doctor. Not your therapist. Nobody can say, "Hey, slow down." That's yours. That's your belief, and you own that forever. I guess one of the things that we could tap into also is the other times that we've come through, the other times when we've had to have grit, especially people who have children. I've seen so many people do so much hard stuff to make sure their kids were safe or fed or clothed or understood or went to a good, you know, and most of us have had trials and tribulations along the way that knocked us off our path. And maybe we were down for a while, but again, there's something, and, and maybe what do you think about having a why? Like, do you think that plays into it? Rather than give up and say, oh, well, this is my lot now. It's my view right now at this age that I think there's still so much I want to do, or I want to see what it's like at this point, 10 years from now, when I've accomplished this or that. Do you think that goals for life play into how we recover? Oh, sure. You know, there's a motivational speaker, who, Dan Sullivan. He said, our future should be bigger than our past. Mm. You know, that captures it. You know, what you're talking about, Greg, is the, the whole idea of looking at past successes to help us deal with future challenges. And uh, Robert Butler, a uh, gerontologist, wrote a book called Life Review. And that was his whole approach that when we're facing these challenges in our senior years, let's look back and see what we, what we accomplished and how much we had to work and really kind of muster all of our strength to make it through that. And that's what helps us in the future. So it's, it's you know, I think it's a common approach and we're coming at the solution from all different directions. Hmm. There's one goal here. Yeah. yeah. When we talk about living our best life, do you think there's a way to ensure not having those regrets that are so common? Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I've seen in people who are depressed, they focus on everything that's wrong. They focus on their losses, their failures, their regrets, their disappointments. And I often use the analogy of horses who are fitted with blinders or blinkers. And the horses are you know, wearing these, so they're not distracted by what's going on around them. All they can see is what's ahead. And that works for horses, but it's, it doesn't work for humans because it prevents us, if we're wearing these blinders or blinkers, it prevents us from seeing the whole picture and seeing what's all around us. So in essence, that means let's look at the good things that you're not seeing. There are things that you're maybe disappointed about, but let's look at what you accomplished. Let's look at this, the decisions that you made. Maybe now you think it was a wrong decision, but at that time, 20 years ago, it was the only decision you had. It was mm -hmm. that was you had good reason for making it. You might not agree now, but you had a reason for making that decision then. 
the other point I wanted to make, as we're aging, you know, to live our best life is in the midst of all of this physical decline and sensory losses, our vision, and our hearing, hair, you know, turns gray and our muscle strength is de declining. So people unfortunately equate physical appearance with beauty, and that's a trap because beauty is not based on physical appearance. Beauty is based on how we feel about ourselves and the strength and the positives that we exude to others. Somebody who's had some facial scarring from uh, cancer surgery or somebody who's lost their legs because of atrophy or whatever, they can still have that sense of beauty, even though physically they may, they may not be attractive. So living our best life to me means accepting where we are and striving for what else we can we can bring into our life and and not get not get caught up in the past and, and you know regrets about what we did yesterday. You know, we're always redefining ourselves. Yesterday doesn't doesn't define who we are today. And that's an important point. A lot of people let yesterday and last year and decades ago define who we are today. You know, that self-definition can can always change. There's a, a beautiful story about Steve Jobs, anybody who's read the uh, biography by Walter Isaacson, Isaac. yeah, you know, Steve Jobs was ad adopted and he found out he was adopted, you know, when he was a young teen, I think around 10 or 12. And he was just completely devastated. You know, he, he felt like, how, how can my biological parents not, not want me? How could they give me up? They, they, I must have been such an unworthy um, person with no value. And the adopted parents said, Steve, no, no, no. When we adopted you as an infant, we thought you were the most beautiful person in the world and you were so valuable and important to us. So it's that, just in that instant, like a light switch is thrown, he shifted from being the most worthless person to being the most valuable person. And what happened? Nothing happened. He wasn't given any new skills or talents. By his adopted parents, it was that mind shift that created this sense of, wow, I really do have something. I do have some worth. And it, it's too bad that we base that worth on what others say, because we always have that worth intrinsically, regardless of what other people tell us. But in that instant, he was able to shift from black to white or from positive, negative to positive. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's, it, it's the way our mind can work and how we can kind of reconfigure, reinterpret, relabel the events that go on in our life. That That's what gives us the opportunity to, to keep moving forward. Yeah, I love the point you made about 20 years ago, the decision was the right decision, or it was the only one we thought we could make. Yeah. And we're not the same person as we were 20 years ago. And the future is often written by the past, like you said, right? We're going to define ourselves by what we did then, which limits our possibility of what could be in the future. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. we may not take an opportunity that comes along because we think, oh, well, for instance, I, I could never play an instrument then, so why would I bother getting a drum set? Or, you know, I wasn't good with money, so I better not go off and be an entrepreneur because I really would like to start this business. There are all sorts of ways that we limit ourselves based on thinking about the past or something that somebody told us. 
And that's why I think it's really important to have people in our corner always that will see who we really are. The beauty with the wrinkles or the scars or the no legs, whatever it is, the beauty that is still the human being that is your friend, right? We're friends based not on how we look or what we have, hopefully, but because we're good people and we make friends. We yeah. should keep those people around us is what I'm saying to reflect back to us when we're feeling low or something's not going well, or we break an elbow or lose some money. It's like, Hey, I still love you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really crucial. You're right. That, that support and guidance and a little uh, boost uh, now and then. I, I remember talking to many patients who had strokes and they were confined to bed and they were, you know, getting involved in rehab. And I always liked the analogy of being the captain of your ship. You know, and I would tell a patient, you are not your body, right? Your body is not cooperating here. Your body is unable to get up and walk and, you know, but you are still the captain of that ship. And it worked with her because for her, I would come in and see her. How are you doing today, Captain? She said, oh, I'm doing great. I was able to get up and uh, actually sat in my wheelchair. And one day I came in, how are you doing, Captain? She said, well, I... I think the ship ran aground. <laughs> she said, I was out taking steps with a walker and the rehab therapist, and I fell. And so I said, oh, yeah, that, that's going to happen because your body is still not there. It is still not cooperating. Now, she was a, a fortunate, you know, she really progressed in her rehab. That's not to say everybody's going to do that. But the point is, our consciousness or whatever is going on in our head is not the same as our our body. Our body is physical, and we are really separate from the body. That's where the whole idea of you know this kind of self assurance and, and and sense of beauty and worth comes from, regardless of what goes on in our body, regardless of what kind of physical decline we have or whatever is going on, we still have that sense of uh, worth and value and, and assurance. That's what matters. And I think that's a beautiful way to frame the whole conversation of aging, honestly, is let's look at it as, I always say it's a gift. I joke that it's, you know, another year is a gift, even the more wrinkles, the whatever, because the alternative, not so good, right? Anyway, I think this has been a great conversation. And I want to mention your website, which is living2100.club. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. I'm just going to say, I just want to mention, if anybody wants a quick look at my strategies for positive aging, if you go to my website, livingtoanhundred.club slash nine tips, you'll get a collection of strategies on maintaining a positive frame of mind as we age. So livingtoanhundred.club slash nine tips, it's there. And, you know, certainly we encourage people to sign up, be a subscriber, you get our announcements, you get our newsletters. Or you can become a VIP member in our club for an extra level of engagement. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation, Gregory. I, I do too. I really did. Yeah. I, I love exploring because I, I just, I mean, honestly reframed the way, because I, I have a problem with like wanting to stay as strong as I was or do as much as I did. And it gets really frustrating when I can't, and I'm physically pretty capable right now, but you've just reframed it, put it back into this idea of enjoying what is and looking at it from what I do have 
And what I can give too, that's one of my drivers is I still have a lot that I want to give to the world and that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that we have to offer. I mean, in terms of our compassion and wisdom and insight and, and resilience, you know, there's some research saying that older adults are, are better able to um, cope with this whole COVID. I mean, they're, they're concerned about getting infected, but they are coping better in this one sample, one study. They're coping better than middle-aged adults with the whole pandemic scare. And, you know, it's, it kind of comes from, look, you know, bad things happen and we get through them. You know, we, we find a way to get through them. So we have a lot to offer. More power to the oldies. You bet. You bet. <laughs> yeah. Great. Dr. Joe, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this conversation. We'll put your website on the podcast page as well so people can find it there. And uh, I hope to have you back again sometime. We'll talk more. Great. Would love that. Thanks very much for the invitation again and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks so much. Be well till next time, everybody. That's the end of another episode of the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If there's anything that you heard or hear when you tune in that you think would benefit a friend, a sister, a mother, hey, even some guys, send them my way, would you? And if you've not ever been to the website, rebelliouswellnessover50.com, head on over there. There are resources, things that I don't always get to on the podcast that might help you age better. Be well till next time and stay that way.